Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? Welcome back, everybody. We are just outside of Cheddar. In fact, we're in Cheddar, which is a lovely little quaint town in England, famous for caves and gorges. I am here with my uncle, Uncle Alan. Um, I am always excited for these chats, but my uncle is probably one of the most similar to me people I know, which says a lot because we're quite unique in our approach to life, but has lived um, an extraordinary existence and has many incredible stories to tell, of which I'll let you do, Alan, because you'll say it in a better way than me. We were chatting actually just about what LGBTQI plus means. Indeed. Um, and that was sparking lots of questions. I thought, oh my gosh, we need to record this. But first of all, we'll get onto that topic. Can you introduce yourself in a nutshell? Um, <laughs> uh, my name's Alan Webb. Uh, I'm 77 years of age, coming up 78 next month. Um, I've lived in Cheddar for 44 years. I'm a northerner, born in Liverpool. Uh, luckily, I didn't keep the accent because I left fairly early uh, to go and live in um, just south of Manchester. I joined the Air Force at the age of 16, left after 11 years. Um, I married when I was 29. Um, I have a daughter, I have a granddaughter, I have now a great granddaughter. Uh, one is Michelle, one is Megan, and one is Maeve. Um, I don't know whether it was a deliberate policy to uh, name them with, all with an M. Um, great. That's about it. Good intro. Um, my first question, because I've always thought this, was did you lie about your age to get into the Air Force? No, no need. Oh. Um, at the age of 16, you were allowed to go in as an apprentice, which I did two years, uh, based in South Wales. Um, and I trained as an electronics fitter. Um, how I ended up passing out, I don't know, because I've still never understood electronics. 60 years later. So you just winged it. I'm going to start this conversation in a way that I never normally do just because you're very interesting and I want to cut to the chase. Okay. Um, I'm just going to fire some questions at you okay. which have not prepared you for, but your biggest fear or your greatest fear? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I have never considered it. I'm not frightened of heights. I'm not frightened of, because I've done parachute jumping and uh, abseiling. Um, I'm not frightened of snakes. Uh, I've eaten them. I've killed them. Um, spiders, no problem. Um, violence, uh, I give as good as I get. Do you know, I honestly don't know what I fear. <laughs> I presume as you get older and older, you either fear death 
or realise that it's just part of life and you've got to accept it and it's not worth worrying about. Can I propose an answer that might be quite bold of me to say this? Go on then. But I suspect, I, uh, as you cross your arms, I suspect I can be the same answer. Um, being either a failure in your own judgment or a fear of growing old or not utilising the life that you have to your sort of desired expectation or level? If you're saying, if you had a chance to start all over again, would your life be different? The answer is yes. Um, do, you, do you know in what ways? And I'm only asking for myself more so than the listeners because we are, I should have started by saying this, we are so similar. And I approach every single day with like a mission, like I've got some assignment that I have to fulfill and I do lots of things and I take genuine joy from lots doing lots of things. But we were talking about it before when we were just um, doing some woodwork actually in yeah. your shed yeah. this afternoon. This uh, sense of fulfilment and and this maybe lack of genuine contentment and want wanting to find that fulfilment somehow. We both do lots of things. We've I always... think you'd be very lucky to go into a room and find more than five percent of people who are actually content mm. with life. Yeah. I think we're all struggling to do something different. Um, Which is reassuring, actually, in a way, if hearing you say that, because it makes you, or makes me think, well, I can stop trying now. If I can just accept that I probably won't always feel fulfilled and therefore leave it at that. It's quite comforting. I feel, feel fulfilled with some of the work that I do that goes very well because I planned it well enough to come out at the end and think, good job that, quite pleased with that. Mm. That gives me contentment. Which leads me to my next question, and it's unfair because you've not prepared, but what do you think is your biggest, biggest accomplishment in life? Got to be the Appalachian Trail. I took six months out, went to America. I had never hiked in the sense of putting a backpack on and... Can you just say what age you were? Because that's important, I think. Uh, 72. Mm. Not every 72-year-old <laughs> takes on this <clears throat> challenge, but continue, sorry. Um, the reason I went is because I'm... I appreciate I'm a loner. I, I'm not a great sociable person. And I just wanted peace and quiet in the woods for a period of time but I needed a challenge at the same time. Mm. Um, I've always done sporting challenges, but... We've done a half, a half marathon, or did we do a 10, 12k or something? We... I've done in total now 62 marathons and four longer distances. 
uh, South Downs Run is 80 miles. The first time I did it was in 24 hours. Second time I did it, I failed at 56. And the third time I did it, I did it in 18 hours, 32 minutes. Um, so if I've done something and I know I can do better, yeah. then I try and go back and do it again. Yeah. Um, I don't like failure. No, which was why I, I mean, it was a, a, a huge assumption that I made that a fear might be failure. The thought of failure might be a fear for you, but it no, might I, just I be I that you don't failure, like it. A fear of failure stops you doing something. I actually work on the basis. I mm. look at something. Yes, I can do that. And I would be a bit ticked off if I didn't do it. Yes. Or didn't succeed in doing it. The surprising thing about the Appalachian Trail, which is 2,189 miles, um, is the fact that I went there for peace and quiet and to be alone. At the end of six months, I came away from the Appalachian Trail with the best memories of meeting particular other people. Mm. The Americans are, were absolutely great. Whether it's because they were within 10 or 20 miles of the Appalachian Trail and it was very famous and thousands of people try and do it, um, to do a through hike which is start and finish in one go, the majority of Americans actually do it on their holidays. So every year they take two weeks out and they do a part of it. Mm -hmm. And one of the people I worked walked with, um, he actually came back to me a couple of years ago and said, I've now completed it and it's taken him 47 years. Wow. Um, and there are people that go onto the Appalachian Trail for a day. Yeah. Um, can you give a little insight as to, let's say, a week in the life of that? Because in, I'm not sure how you fed yourself. What I mean, presumably you just walk. You get up, you pack up your kit and you just walk all day. What, what's the sort of the day is, in the life of Alan on the trail? Which I found the most benefit because in my normal life, I work long, hard hours and then I think a lot mm. about those hours, mm -hmm. uh, planning things and figuring out how to do things, etc. When I did the Appalachian Trail, all I had to think about was getting up in the morning and put one foot in front of the other. And it was very well signposted. Um, there were uh, shelters on a very regular basis. And there's also people, I stayed in people's houses, um, probably, I don't know, 17 times, 17 nights, where people just said, come stay with me. Um, and they were just fellow walkers, fellow no, people no, no, on no, the no, trail? No. They weren't. They, were, they are called trail angels. Oh, wow. And there are actually people that set up a tent, food and drink, and as you pass through, they give it to you free of charge. Is that how you fed yourself most of the way? No, no, or no, no, no. Did you scavenge? Or? No, you, uh, I never saw a rabbit or a squirrel in 2,000 miles. I saw a couple of turkeys. Um, I saw a few bears, a couple of moose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I didn't scavenge. Uh, you stop at the uh, shops, 
buy the food that you need for three or four days yep. until your next stop. Um, cook for yourself. I carried, initially, I started carrying about 42, 43 pounds in weight um, because, of course, I had to have everything on board, whereas some of the Americans actually had people sending them things, uh, delivering things uh, in stages. The people that um, do through hikes, I think around 16 or 17% of people, and it's only about 4 or 5% of those that actually make it in one go. Um, and I'm assuming that when I did it, I was probably the oldest that year that did a through hike. What I would like to do, just for my own satisfaction, is to go back when I'm 83 and do it again. Um, and I will come and join you. Fine. If that's okay. That's we don't fine. need to talk because I'd, I also like the solitude of nature and walking. <laughs> but for me, it will be because I will be the oldest person ever to do the through hike at 83. Amazing. So that's the only reason I want to do it. We'll do another podcast after after you've achieved that. <laughs> um, again, another question that you haven't had preparation for. What do you think your biggest learning was uh, with that experience? Walking all that distance um, and, yeah, embarking on that physical accomplishment. Sorry, what was my... Biggest learning. Was it that humanity is greater than you expected? Was it that physically you were more capable than you assumed? Was it that... Oh, no, physically. In fact, there were some days and I just lay down and thought, God, I can't do another step. Um, it was interesting that I met a group of people that I walked with quite often. Um, and they were always commenting about my age. And there were some parts of the trail of where you could have an easy route or a hard route. Yeah. And I worked on the basis that because I was there the once, the hard route it was. Mm -hmm. um, one of the guys, he used to uh, pick up oranges and he left an orange on the top of a hard route. And when I saw them a couple of days later, um, I actually, they didn't ask the question, did you do it? Mm. Because they were assuming that I would take the easier route. Oh, well, they don't know you well enough then, Correct. do they? So I said, Thanks for the orange. Yeah, of course you <laughs> could, You could see their faces. Yeah. Um, I also have the same approach when I did the Dolomites, when I did Mont Blanc, yeah. when I did the solo walk along the Cape to Cape. Always take the harder route. You're there once. I'm very, very rarely would I ever return somewhere. I love the variety and the newness of life experience, and I would never go somewhere twice. I did the. Um, Devises to Westminster Canoe Race. Never canoed before, so I had a dabble down at the one of the local rivers. And this is, I can't remember the distance now, 80 miles or whatever it was. 
but it's from Devizes to Westminster in, in London. Um, and I did it, first of all, with a partner. Um, but the idea is that when you... This was on the canals, some of it, and you had to get out and do portage uh, through the locks. Mm-hmm. And other canoeists were getting to the, to the banks and getting out and taking, um, doing it fairly quickly, out and in. And my partner was one of these people that said, oh, let's not get in anybody's way. Um, let them go first. And I thought, this is just not on. You're in a, a race here. <laughs> so um, I failed that time. Uh, I got tendonitis in both uh, wrists um, and could not let go of the paddle, and nor did I have the strength to actually paddle. Mm. So we came out at, uh, I can't remember now, but anyway, I failed. Um, so I decided to go back and do it again, but of course as a solo. Um, and it worked out fine. Um, but if you're in a competition, you do the best you can. Not the chance of me winning, remote. Um, but to do my best and say at the end of the race, I came 224th, but I did the best I could. That's my satisfaction. Yeah. Um, I did once do a race of where I won and then the officials did tell me that I was the only person of that age to do that race. <laughs> so I have won a race. Was so, that a running race or a... No, that was a running race. That was a running race. I also, I was in the, uh, the fire brigade at one time uh, as a part-time retained fireman. Uh, when I came out of the Air Force, uh, I trained as a painter and decorator. Uh, and started my own business. Um, but I also wanted to do something different, so I became a, a part-time retained fireman. And each year they had a sports event. This was the Manchester Fire Brigade. Um, and I entered the 10,000 metres, having never done it before, but I thought, well, it, all it takes is putting one front in front of the other. And I came last. Um, and I was leaving the stadium and my name came up over the uh, tannoy system. Uh, I had been awarded the Endeavour Award. Oh, how did you respond <laughs> to that? I imagine that would have pissed you right off. <laughs> yeah. The Endeavour Award. So I had to Some go. people would like that. You would not. <laughs> I, can, uh, I can just imagine. But, yeah. Yes, I was... Endeavour Award. Did you go back and do I had to, yeah, I went back and... Redeem yourself. Did redeem myself. So you didn't have to win the Endeavour Award. <laughs> um, yeah, you're but yes, I started running when I was 33, I think. I gave up smoking because my... You smoked? Th- oh my gosh, I'm learning so much about very you. Very heavily. Did you? 60, 70 a day. What? Yeah, from the age of 16. Well, in fact, strangely enough, from the age of about 12 or 13. No. My brother introduced me to smoking. We should say you are one, you've got three brothers. Two well, brothers and a sister. Oh, two brothers. 
oh yeah no you're one of three sorry and then my mum is yeah right. the younger one and then of course we lost one brother we did yeah uh, Roy um well yes Ken introduced me to smoking I think he was probably 14 and I was probably about 12 That's and he crazy. gave up at 15 and I didn't give up wow. and then of course I joined the Air Force um, and there when I went abroad of course you could pick up 200 cigarettes for 50 pence. Um, I was also a smoker of non-tipped cigarettes, catch them full strength, wood binds. Um, and I was a heavy smoker. Wow, I had no idea. And then at 32, when my daughter was born, mm -hmm. I gave up. It took me six months to give up. And the reason I gave up, or the trigger that made me give up was I was a sales manager in uh, Manchester um, and I was at my desk on a Friday night and I went to write something and I realised I had a cigarette in my hand. So I went to swap over to put the cigarette in my left hand and I had a cigarette in my left hand as no, well. No, you had two on the go. No, no. Because, in fact, I then went to put one of them in the ashtray and there was still one on the side of the ashtray lit. So I had three cigarettes going. And I thought, this is utterly stupid. So you were a chain smoker? I was a chain Always. smoker. Always. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. That's fascinating. So then I started... Because it was... A, I was living in Sale, which is about eight miles south of my office in Manchester... I mean, no wonder you came last in the 10,000. Jeez, <laughs> you've got no lungs to work with. I've done a few things since. Um, so are you health, like you are the fittest physically person I know, and I don't want to bring age into age. it, but <laughs> your whole, ever since I've known you, so I've been on the planet 35 years, yeah. I've always known i've always told people uncle alan he's the fit one yes so when you were chain smoking and in the air force and all that were you athletic or interested in yes. activity and sport yeah you just coupled it with yeah i went in the smoking. air force uh i did a couple of things i played tennis and i also ran the only reason i ran is i was as i said an apprentice in south wales that a sergeant came into the uh, um, billet, the, the place where we, there was 20 guys in one billet. Um, and he came in and said uh, something along the lines of, uh, um, who can walk uh, fairly well? Um, and nobody, of course, volunteered. And I think I was the nearest to him. So he said, you'll do. Um, and I, they put me in a walking race, um, and I won it. Hmm. But I didn't win it. I won it by striding out forwards, not the wiggly bits. Uh, sorry, I'm just showing you a, a distracted by a squirrel. A squirrel dashing along there. For anyone in Australia, we don't have squirrels in Australia. Don't you? No. Oh, maybe some red ones in certain states, but. The They're red, basically a rat with a bushier, nicer tail. The red tail. ones here, unfortunately, are in the isolated places, mostly in Scotland now. Oh. Uh, because they kill the brown off. ones the, have been, grey ones have taken they, them. Yeah, the grey ones are smaller, etc. But anyway, um, 
So I started sports there. And then when I went to Scotland, in my first posting up in Kenloss uh, in Scotland, um, they had a tradition there, of course, of uh, Scottish games. And I started. Oh, yes, like the log tossing and the yeah. welly boot yeah. throwing and the so axe. Um, not the welly boots. No, I don't know. <laughs> I just that came to mind. And I started running then. And uh, I used to run in bare feet because it, the games were always on, in fields. Um, and that's how, of course, how I met my wife. Uh, she was also in the Air Force. Um, Did you ever get posted to, um, like, wars? There haven't really been wars in your... Yeah. In your time, no. I've been in places of where I had to dash under the table because there was terrorists shooting all over the place. And that was in Cyprus. Um, And that was, uh, I can't remember his name now. The Greeks, no, the Turks came into northern Cyprus. Um... No matter. But no, I've, I've never been involved in uh, in wars. And the Air Force really is not involved in wars. Mm. It does bring a point that if I was starting my life over again, one, I wouldn't smoke, mm-hmm. and two, I would have joined the Army, not the Air Force. Yeah. Because I've realised since, because I like um, adventure, I like fitness, I like endurance. I think I would have been better off as a soldier and I would have tried either through the Marine side or, in fact, I do have connections with Special Forces. I fully thought you were a Marine. I've thought that for years. Yeah. I've not told anyone that, but, no. Um, yeah. No, I definitely would have seen air, you more. I was an aircraft mechanic. Um, as simple yeah. as that. I used yeah. to deal with anything that was sat in front of a pilot... Yeah. That was all the instrumentation is what I used to work on. Um, have you ever, and this is just another question, come close to death or have you what's the most physically demanding thing you've put your body through? You've done so many ultra extreme things in your life and we're just like touching the surface, but are there any times where you've nearly uh starved or frostbite or like you've you've the endeavours you said you you tried to walk the length of England in a polar bear suit and nearly got your head chopped off by <laughs> by kids trying to take yeah. the the I was, trying to, raise, I was trying to raise money uh, for charity and myself uh, to go to the North Pole and it's still on my to do list oh yeah. yes it's still on my to do list um, as are a few other things but. Uh, yeah, have you ever have you ever had a severe injury or illness or anything that you think, oh, that was a close shave? I've had. I don't know whether you, you can imagine uh, an engineer's um, vice, um, a bench vice, mm-hmm. and that was on top of a shelving unit uh, in Scotland at RF Kinloss. And I was asked to move some shelves. And of course, I tried to move the shelves, which I thought were totally empty, from the base. So I pulled at the base and it rocked 
and this thing came off and hit me on the head and I was out like a light. Luckily, as my mother used to say, I was thick skinned. You're as thick skinned as your father, she used to say. Um, but I'm also, she must have a fairly thick head. Mm. Um, because in fact, in Cyprus, some years later, I was playing uh, rugby for the... Did you play rugby? Um, All these things. I was... What position? I was playing rugby. For, second for row, must have, uh, must have been a back, sorry. I was in second row at some points and I was a winger. So I, yeah, I was quick. Fairly quick. But anyway, that's by the way. Um, I was a guest player for the army. Yeah. Because I was on an army camp at Army Decalia and I was taking my football referees examination. Um, because anything I'm not very good at, uh, I tried to qualify. So I was a football referee, a uh, cricket umpire. I... <laughs> what? <laughs> you should come but, and umpire one of my games. But, but game. long gone. But anyway, um, and we were playing. So because I was known as a rugby player for the RAF, then I was invited to join the team of the army against the navy who it was HMS Bulwark was coming from Singapore through um, the Mediterranean yeah um, and they were having a, a guest uh, game of uh, rugby and I part during the game I dived for a particular ball and at the same time one of my army teammates lashed out with his foot and gave me a fractured skull on the perforated eardrum. <laughs> wow. So, uh, I've also injured somebody, um, I think again in Cyprus it was, it must have been, um, that I was friends with a, a number of um, people there and they were having a ladies hockey match and I went to watch and there was one team was one person short so one of the ladies came over and said do you fancy the young hockey so I said fine never played it I said the safest place I can be is in goal I suppose so I became the goalie and one of the team came dashing back and I lashed out and broke her ankle. <laughs> a lady's ankle? Yes. Oh no, yes. Alan. Yes. Gosh. I wasn't invited back. No, I can imagine. No, I, I wasn't. <laughs> wow. So you've done loads, and of all the things you've done that we've probably only touched the surface, what is still on your list? We've just said the North Pole. Um, you're obviously going to go back and do the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. What is there that you still want to do that you haven't done yet? I would like to have dinner with um, a lady presenter on the television. Anyone? Just I, any old one? Oh, no, no, no. A no, specific? No, no, no. Oh, <laughs> this lady is the happiest, friendliest... Um, she's the epitome of what I think is a 
beautiful woman. Yeah. Character-wise, look-wise. Would I know this person? Sorry? Do I know, would I know this person? Um, By name? I'm just trying to think. You can't think of the name. Okay. You were stalling there. <laughs> I'm not stalling. It's not going to happen unless you put it out there, Alan, so we yeah, need to I remember know, the name. It's not going to happen anyway. No. Um, it'll come to you. It will come to me, yes. That's not what I thought you would say. I thought you'd say some other sort of physical endeavour that you still have on your list or... Um, not not Paul. Yep. Um... Skydiving. More of it? Because you've done skydiving, haven't you? I've done parachuting. Ah. Big difference. Um. Yeah, let's go and do skydive. It's so good. I did it in New Zealand over Lake Taupo. You'd love it. Not what? on my own. I had a, ah, a guide stuck to me. Yeah, no, yeah you wouldn't want it. No, 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 no. Unless it was... Um, Don't be daft. Unless it's a I, presenter that you can't think yeah, of her name. I nearly had her name then. Um, my oh. wife would know her name. Because she can, when she comes on the television, she comes through and says, your favourite lady's on television. Uh. <laughs> oh. Typically because she knows damn well I'll never have dinner with her. But still... Um, well, do you believe, that's a good point, actually, do you believe that of, in manifestation, has that concept sort of been part of your ethos and approach to life? Because I strongly believe that if you say something, write something, have the intention to do something, start the steps towards sort of energetically looking into stuff, it will happen. Like, I, I strongly believe that you can invite... We spoke about this over dinner the other night, and it's not religious, it's not really spiritual, it's just having the, the intention, and I just have a belief that things will happen if you put it out there into the universe. I don't. You don't. Great. <laughs> no. End of chat. Change the topic. <laughs> Christina Trevelyan. Right. Never heard of her. I know. I'll, I'll look her up after this. Christina Trevelyan. Lovely. She's married. Children, in fact, her son is an auctioneer, yeah. Um, and fairly obviously, one of the BTQ. Oh, let's get on to that. Here we are, we've arrived (laughs) at the LGBTQI plus section. Interesting, you say, first of all, I'm going to pick you up on this because we can talk quite frankly, but when you say obviously. Effeminate. He looks effeminate. But some talks people, no, 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 you no, no, appreciate no. that some, not everyone is obvious or, and also Correct. there are effeminate people, men, that are straight. I know. But I know. yeah, you would put. But as a, as a male, um, I think you see it more. It's more obvious to a man. Although, what's his name? Another television presenter we were talking about the other day. Um, the one that was married, just been charged with, I don't know. Philip Schofield. Philip Schofield. I'd never crossed my mind he was gay. I don't think he knew he was gay until very recently. So. But anyway, to, yes. to go back to this uh, thing, um, he speaks effeminately, he acts effeminately. Yeah. Um, 
a male doesn't put his hand up to his, to his face the same way as a female does. Um, For those of you listening, you can't see my face. I'm smiling and <laughs> actually laughing because that assumes, and we'll talk about the word binary, but that assumes and gender norms that a man should act as a conventional male. Ma- male. I, would, I never wanted a son because I don't believe I would have been... I would have... Struggled. I would have struggled. You said that to me. You said, I'm so glad you're my niece and not my nephew, because if you had come out as a nephew, I don't know that I could have had a connection or relationship with you. And I have never forgotten that. <laughs> and you said that to me at 18. It, it and would, it was fascinating. It would me that my son would turn out to be... what. I, I always say this, and I don't excuse myself, I always turn out to be a handbag salesman. Okay, sure. <laughs> it's good I don't take offence, but also good that I know that I can appreciate, and this probably is where age comes into it, and generational differences, yeah. that it has been drilled into your generation that homosexuality or minority otherness is wrong. It's no, it's not not wrong. It's but not as overt. If you're just again going to say if you're queer, if because when we grew up, queer wasn't a derogatory. It was a noun. It, it was. Um, I think it's a noun now. It was a description. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't say it was just a person was queer. End of story. Not oh that's terribly queer. Yeah. Um. But you do, by your own admittance, struggle with the idea of two men being in love. Oh, definitely. And yet you don't with two women, which I find Correct. so interesting. Because What's from a male point of view, <laughs> two females together are more sexual right. than two males together. That you're, oh, his just... face, his face, guys, his face <laughs> is a pawn. <laughs> But anyway, let me get back to what I was just about to tell you before you started all this podcast business. And that is that, um, yes, the podcast doesn't know that part of my my main business is that I'm a private investigator. And part of that is doing what they call process serving, which is delivering documents to private individuals from solicitors from the courts, uh, companies, etc., and I knocked on the door one day of a person I was trying to serve papers to. Uh, no reply. So I naturally knock on the neighbour's door to find out whether Mr Smith is still living there or at work or whatever. And a guy came to the, came to the door and he had, on reflection, he had a female's dressing gown on. And I said to him, I thought quite naturally, because I hadn't sort of spotted this female's dressing gown, and I said, sorry to disturb you, sir, and he went mad. How dare you call me, sir, he said. I thought, what the hell have I done? I was being polite. Yeah. But presumably he was something else. Someone else, yeah. Someone else, <laughs> even though he was six foot something and built mm. like... Uh, 
And are we supposed to recognise? I do believe it's challenging. I I empathise is too strong. I find I sympathise with people these days, and I do fit into the LGBTQI plus category. But I do think that everyone has to walk on eggshells, and you can never assume. And and therefore, you always have to be. If you, does, if you does can. he have the right to jump down my bloody throat? No, I think he. In that instance, you can't be defensive because. So, for instance, ninety-five. In fact, probably ninety-nine point nine percent of people assume that I am a heterosexual female with a husband, a boyfriend, or I'm Correct. single, but I date men. I've always thought that. <laughs> but. I would never go, excuse me, how, you know, I'd never get defensive no. because who's to know? This, this guy really went Yes. Mad. So I think in that instance, overreaction on, on their part. Um, but I do feel like we're in an age and an era where you just have to not have the binary thinking of the past. We cannot assume anything about anyone and we have to... That's where the phrase they, them comes from. So if a man, if I, the door opened and a female stood there yeah. in trouser suit yeah. and I said, good morning, madam. I think you just have to say good morning. The label is what is now being considered as inappropriate and unthoughtful. So if someone was to say, are you um, married to a man? Do you have a boyfriend? What they should say is, do you have a partner? So it leaves it open. That would be far more embracing of my identity and my way of life. And I would feel more respected if someone says, do you have a partner? Because I could say, yes, I do have a female partner or I don't. Why is the majority yep. of society supposed to change fantastic for question. the minority? Yeah, fantastic question. You because don't have to change, but I you have to embrace. Because I was... I was a magistrate for many years, and you're checked, as a chairman of magistrates, you're checked on every two years by a, an assessment to make sure that you are um, being polite, etc. And we were normal court date, and we were going through DVLA stuff, um, And the legal advisor in front said something along the lines of, um, well, we've not got the, the uh, paperwork for, for them. So I said, have we checked all the Christian names? So he said, no, we haven't. So we checked the Christian names. The criticism I then got from the assessor was I'd used the word Christian. Yeah. I said, I've always used the name. No, it's now forename. Mm. I said, you can put me down. You can mark me down for that one because there's no way that I'm changing my English language that I've had for 50 or 60 years to suit somebody else because I use the word Christian name. Mm. I have a Christian name. I don't have a forename. I don't have a first and second forename. I have two Christian names. I do think it's hard to You can keep like it up. or lump it. Yeah. It's hard to keep up because I wouldn't even the the word Christian as a forename it wouldn't even cross my mind. But that's just because I wasn't born in an era where most people got christened. Correct. So 
I, I do empathise. Yeah, I really empathise with people who have known it their their whole lives a certain way, and now are expected. Yes, overnight, almost overnight, because it had these changes. I obviously I'm immensely pleased have happened. The fact that I can go about my life loving yeah. who I want, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, the fact that people of colour now have hopefully similar opportunity, yeah. if not equal opportunity. The, the fact that women are getting getting now paid yeah. what they do. All these things. But they have happened like that. Correct. And I do believe that individual in their dressing gown was wrong to snap at you in the way that yeah. they did. Um, yeah, it's a really complex issue. And it, I think, I, I, I can't imagine a time in society where people have to become so open accepting and embracing of change as now I think I, I teach a whole class on a Tuesday at a school the whole class is set up specifically for non-gendered individuals they're year seven so they're year 12s not one person in that class identifies as a man oh sorry a boy or a girl the class is for individuals who are struggling to know what their gender is and I do this is controversial, what I'm about to say. I do feel like maybe there's elements where it's a bit of a fad. Yeah. Other examples, absolutely. Oh, People oh, feel they're born, you know, they're intersex or they're, they are genuinely non-binary. But I think... Hmm. But I still have problems. Where I accept the fact of the LBGT plus, yeah. minus, whatever, <laughs> what I still strongly disagree with is marriage between couples yeah. of the same sex yeah. and even more so adoption of children. <gasps> that I'm going to question you by on, a, Alan. By a... Web. By a... So uh, what about my ex-partner who has brought four children into the world? She, uh, she had two. Mm -hmm. Her ex-wife had mm -hmm. two. They are some of the most loving, fantastic parents I've ever met. Mm -hmm. You think that should those those four children should not have been they born cannot into the world. help themselves, but give them a different slant on life than a normal bringing up. And I but think, what if this is the new normal? Oh God! Help me. <laughs> I think we need to change the subject because I'm about to wring your neck. <laughs> Kindest way. But no, it's again, interesting you're thinking. Male side of things. Yeah. I. Um, it would concern me that where females having adopted children, they are um, more maternal. Maybe. Two males having a male children. Yeah. Adopted. Just is beyond thought for me. That's assuming, I hear you, that is assuming that men are not maternal, men are not sensitive, men are not nurturing individuals, which I don't believe is your experience of maybe from your father, but some men are most wonderful nurturing, caring individuals. I'm sure you are, but yeah, precisely. Imagine two two of you and your approach to being kids. I think two parents is better than one. Depends on Ooh. the parents. Yeah. 
But two loving, caring, nurturing parents, regardless of their gender, is better than one version of that. Well, is my opinion. So we're going to move it. We're yeah, going to we'll move, move on. Move on. <laughs> right. One question that I do really want to ask you, because I think I approach life similarly. Yeah. Every sort of four or five years, I have a change in identity. So I've been a sports massage therapist. I've been a personal trainer. I've been an art therapist. I've been an artist. I also, haven't told you this, but I've applied to be in the fire force, the fire brigade. Um, I'm constantly changing. And what I struggle with, society, I've found, or, or people just don't kind of get it. They don't, they don't take me seriously because they think, well, how can you possibly be a remedial sports massage therapist for the Australian cricket right. team yeah. and a viable, legitimate artist? How yeah. can you be an art therapist and a massage therapist? Have you ever come across that tension where people go, well, hang on a minute, how, do you, how can you be a private investigator if you are then also a massage therapist? Yeah, all of the mix that... Like, has that ever no, been an I issue for you? No, because I don't have a circle of friends that question it. Yeah. And then in terms of promoting yourself, you've come from nothing and you've just created... So you only started being a private investigator 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 7, 20? Try, um, <laughs> okay, let's pick a topic. 17 years ago. Right. So when you... But presumably each business or new venture or almost a new identity takes time to establish because no I've, I've always added it I've right. never gone to one or the other right I came out of the Air Force yeah and because I was buying my first home and because the Air Force allowed you a, a month's training in any subject you wanted I became a painter and decorator right and then I took that up as a um as a, a means of living. Right. But then because I wanted a bit more adventure and it was taking time to build up a business, I became a milkman. Right. And I was a milkman from four, five o'clock in the morning. And after that, at 11, 12 o'clock at lunchtime, I then went as a painter and decorator. Right. Um, and then I added um, being a fireman. So I was a fireman for four years, I think. Yeah. Um, until the unions stopped um, part-time retained firemen in, in Manchester. Um, I've trained as a massage therapist, but it's always been as an add-on, mm. not instead of. You know, that's quite unusual. I mean, I'm the same. I've all, I'm always relearning, rebranching. I'm always adding on but most people don't and I struggle because I find that maybe this is my own perception but I, I assume that most people don't take me seriously in whatever add-on I've added on <laughs> because they just think well you can't be good at different things you could surely most people have one thing they nail one career type one yeah. skill which I would find boring well I, I also find it boring which is why I'm not doing my life like that but no. yeah it's reassuring to hear that you've just made it work and people have accepted that you have all these different strings and that I'll try anything I, I, my wife and I are naturists and the Kings of Wessex school um, 
I can't remember his name now, but he knew of me being a naturist and said, would I come and sit as an artist, model? Yeah, uh, life, life model, model. yeah. So I've done that before now. Yeah. Um, as long as it's legal. Yeah, and I guess you don't have to excel at it. Like you said, it's just about I'm doing not, your best. This, correct. There's no way that... Um, I've played football, I'm lousy at it. I've played cricket, I'm lousy at it. Yeah. Um, rugby, I wasn't too bad. Yeah. Um, but if you don't try, you never find out. And I think for you and I, the payoff for having the fun and the variety means more and is more fulfilling than smashing and nailing one thing. I've always struggled, and I still to this day struggle, that I've never quite been good enough to represent my country in a sport. However, I have no doubt that if I picked one, I probably would have, but I would I would have hated picking one sport, which is why I did eight at county or state level, because I need that variety. Right. Well, I believe that adding things on to your basics yeah. just gives you a broader character, Yeah. more experience of life. Yeah. And more experience of life will allow you to do better in other aspects. Um, Can I wrap up by asking one final question? Yeah. And that is, um, what would you say to your younger self or what would you say to the next generation coming through? Based on all the experiences you've had. Um, the younger generation. Get off your backside and do some work. I thought you might say that. It's true, though. We were talking about it before, weren't I've we? There's this air of entitlement. It, it, yeah, under, under the age of, I don't know, generalisation. <laughs> I mean, I was looking for words of wisdom, but sure, get off your backside and do some work. Under the age of 21, they just seem to... If it's not on the phone, it doesn't exist. Yeah. I do, I said this to you earlier, that I think when there hasn't been a war, when you haven't lived off rations, when you haven't been brought up in a house where there's six of you under a roof and there's only two yeah. rooms, when you've ha not had to work for it. Like, I do feel like there is, life is too easy. You know, we just Special forces have a problem now of recruiting because they used to recruit from broken homes. Yes. From poverty. The North... West, South Wales. Yeah. Where the option to go into the forces was nicer than where you were coming from. Yes. Whereas but, now the forces is a less but desired. At the age of six or seven, they were out on the streets. Yeah. And they were fending for themselves yeah. and they were going out and there was none of this nonsense business of, of health and safety have gone mad. Yeah. Yeah. That kids aren't allowed to jump more than three feet at school or, or whatever it is. Yeah. They, the kids are so mollycoddled as they're growing up that they don't have the qualities required for the Marines or yeah. the Special Forces. That they just It's been washed out of their character. I agree. Yeah, I do struggle with um, the lack of grit and gutsiness of, of yeah. the next generation. Yep. Yeah. Too um, hard. Yeah. Too hard basket. Don't bother. 
Right, well, with that lovely nurturing <laughs> final comment, um, thank you so much for your time, Alan. It's been know. thoroughly enjoyable. I've learnt lots more about you that I didn't know. Well, and um, My first ever broadcast. First ever broadcast, although, so I think you've got the voice although, for it. Maybe we'll send this to that lady and she can have a listen and invite you for dinner. Um, I used to run a radio station up in Scotland. Of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And um, get off your backside, guys, and get out there and do some work. <laughs> Until next time. Bye.